Footy Live's AFL Funnels coverage is brought to you by British Paints. Procrastinating on a paint project? The fear of mucking up can strike at any time. Fight the FOMU with British Paints. From first-time painters to seasoned home improvement gurus, you can get a great result on your exterior project with British Paints Four Seasons. It's easy to apply with a finished design to last and last. That's why it comes with a 25-year guarantee. So get started today and fight the FOMU with British Paints. Now, it's time to talk footy. The key to a successful season is peaking at the right time and boy oh boy wowee has the punter's profit peaked at the right time in 2020. Four out of four, four big bold calls for big bustling Baz. That's what we mean about big and bustling. We don't mean about his size or his frame, we mean about the boldness of his hot takes and the profit margins of his big bad bets. Baz, how are you feeling after a very, very successful week one of the finals? Pretty rats, mate. Pretty, uh, I was pretty chirpy on Sunday, uh, Sunday and Saturday night and Monday and, che- and t- Tuesday and Wednesday and today's Thursday. I'm pretty chirpy today still. So uh, there's a few people that doubted me. And uh, But look, the stats don't lie. And we've been saying it all year and it, it pointed to those four. And I mean, obviously Collingwood was a bit more of a gut feel. But if you look at the last four to five weeks of Collingwood's uh, play, then you'd probably say, well, well we should have been a lot closer than... The market suggested, and I reckon I've said it all year that the, the stats don't lie about West Coast. They're they're bad, and uh, you know I've spoken a lot before about the actual score ladder and stuff like that, and they, they would have missed finals on that. So, and you know we were accurate for a change, and the, they weren't, which was reversal of what happened earlier in the year when they kicked what nineteen or seventeen two against us. So, but no, I'm pretty happy with what happened, and pretty happy Collins still alive. Or I'm a lot more nervous about this week than I was last week, though, with Collingwood. So, uh, and yeah, it's all good. The weather's pretty shitty, but let's get that back going next week and hopefully have another good weekend. Exactly. Well, it is October after all. I did jump the gun and message you saying it's been a shame that we won't be playing cricket this season in October because it's the first dry October we've ever had, and then it proceeded to rain the next five days. So <laughs> I, I've clearly mozzed you there, Baz, and for that I deeply apologise. But we didn't moz your bets, as I said, four out of four. And let's get into that recap then. Segment one, what just happened? The big wins and the bad beats of Funnels Week 1. Start with that big game, Baz. Elimination final number one, West Coast, 11-9-75. We're defeated by your pies, 12-4-76. And as you mentioned, I think the Eagles just got found out and maybe a little bit unlucky, but they got found out at their own game and it's it's only worked once in finals, basically. It is the West Coast's model of depending on clean, clear footy only worked once and you remember it all too well. But do you feel like they're going to have to change it next season now or will they just stick to a pattern that works in the, in the home and away season and then get found out again in finals? Well, they have to change their game. So they literally only scored from centre clearance all season. Like, yeah, they've obviously scored some from back half turnovers with the inset marks and stuff, but which is you know based on McGovern inset marking, which I reckon is fully fit. And we spoke about them taking four you know, players off a bit of a break into the game. So... Um, yeah, look, they definitely have to change their game so they can't keep relying on the, their centre dominance because teams will figure it out and, and they'll find a way. And, you know, does Kennedy come back next year? Um, you know, a few other players. And they're also an ageing list. So while they've been able to get some good young talent into that team, I think Jetta's gone as well now. Um, so you've Kennedy and Jetta, um, Hearn, what do they all do? Like they're all, you know, getting on. 
do they have players to replace them? Probably not. We've seen that already. And, you know, we go into next year, really, this COVID probably will still be around and probably still living under some sort of restriction. So for me, I, I really worry about, we've seen how brittle they were when I had to move out into the hub. And, you know, there's lots of stories coming out of the hub life now when our season's finished, a lot of uh, things are coming to an end. But, uh, and you're hearing about how hard it was and how toxic it was for teams. But, you know, for the, the way they spoke about it from the start, you knew I was in trouble. And we've kept on the same line all year that they probably weren't as strong in the hub. And again, their record shows that when they were at home, they had a good, pretty good run at home as well with the teams they played. They went, what, six and zip. So I don't reckon, I still don't think they're as good as what they, what everyone claimed them to be. And I, they're, Goal-kicking accuracy, which was the best in the league, I think, you know, which caught up to him again on the weekend. Um, probably flooded him as well. And, yeah, I don't really have him. I mean, they'll play enough games in Perth next season, you'd think, that uh, depending on what happens with COVID, but you'd think that, you know, Western Australia's pretty good at the moment and you'd think that hopefully it stays that way. They'll probably play enough next year in, in Perth to make the top eight. But they're, I reckon... Simpson should really be looking to see if there's any players in his in his list that he can get some value for at trade period. It's time to start moving them on. Yeah, they do, yeah. They, they don't need a rebuild, but they do need a, a refresh. And as I said, like you can't just keep going back to the well and expecting different results. They will eventually just continue to decline. So what do they need then to fix in 2021? Can they go back to being a top four side, do you think, next year? The, where, they, where people are rating them? Or will this now kind of force people to reassess the club and go, actually, no, they are now a more five to eight, five to 10 type team. Well, Kenny, Kenny finally, um, finally read the stats and actually realized they weren't that good on, on Sunday night. So hopefully a few others start to think that as well and start to realize that I don't, they really need another Liam Ryan. How good is he going? He was probably, I've spoken to many times about how much I love him and how I love watching him play. Even against us when he was tearing us up and giving Maynard a bit of stick. You know, he's so good to watch. They just like that, that, I don't know, that, probably that class and ball use. They're probably hoping to get that from Cali this year, but he probably hasn't been as good as what they hoped for, especially considering they gave up two first-round picks. Did he not enjoy it as much? Because, again, he was, he was away from home in that hard life. I don't know. I, I really think that they need to replace Jetta, you know, that, that ball use, that quick, almost like a Stephen Hill type, someone like that who can break the lines for him because I reckon they, they like that a little bit. The midfield's like, all right when it's on their terms, but when it's not, you know, obviously Yo coming back in will be a massive difference. But and maybe their defence, I don't reckon their defence is that good either. Like obviously you got McGovern who can play that peel off in the set mark, but when they're, you know, we saw on the weekend, Cox was able to kick three goals in five minutes, and if he's doing that to your defence, you're in a bit of strike, I reckon. Mm. The other thing they said they struggle with is that they don't have multiple styles of football to play, but also not multiple tempos. They are very much just a, a kick mark chain team and a very uh, closed tempo team, whereas at the moment the teams that are really dominating, the Brisbane's, the Ports, to some extent Richmond over the last four years, play that chaos-style football, and so they need you need more players that can can thrive in those environments, whereas as soon as West Coast is forced into that, and that's what Collingwood forced them to do is play live-action football for as long as possible last weekend, they get found out because they don't have those players because their model was that old Hawthorne model, the previous successful model of kick mark and tempo style football and have the ball dead for as long as possible, which is now the opposite is the most successful style of football. So they have been kind of left behind and they will need to rebuild. 
first yeah, week we, elimination then, what's the uh, pass mark for the year then? Is that a, a soft pass, a hard fail? Where do you rank them in this year? Given what they probably should, should have probably not made the eight, it's probably a soft pass. Um, but it's a big fail for mine with the list they've got. And, you know, we talk about, you just talk about the dirty ball. It's why they're the worst, second worst team in the comp for ground ball. So they can't, they don't like it when it's dirty, when it's rough. And if you take away their center bounce scores on the weekend, they won't be able to kick like three or four goals. I think they get five goals, something from center bounce clearance. So, yeah, look, I think they're in a bit of strife. So this year, probably about a C or a D, um, given their list, but that's just from coaching and I reckon a bit of men- mental side of things, but they can definitely improve. I reckon like I said, they probably need a bit more outside speed, probably another good defender to come through and that might be all right. So it'd be interesting to say, like they can put someone like Waterman back or something like that and hope that he can um, play as a key back. He's got that marking capability, he's good size. So maybe he's the one they need to push back, but I can see him just making the eight next year, but I reckon they're almost due a bit of a turn- this turnover. Almost a, a Hawthorne style without bottoming out, trying to just top up and retweak, or, or Geelong style probably is the more successful version of that. And even if we do have hubs next year, that will re- result in them playing a lot of time in WA. So if you get at least a couple of home games, but probably the 11 that you always get, it's very hard to see West Coast not playing funnels in 2021. Our second game, the elimination funnel, number two, St Kilda 10-7-67, defeated Western Bulldogs 9-10-64. And basically, as we've already mentioned, this game played out much the way we expected it to, with the doggies being found out under pressure and caving where the game side doesn't stand up to any form of of contest heat. But St Kilda did what they always did and kept us on the edge of our seats right to the very end. Quickly on St Kilda, do you think there's that the nerve-breaking win that they needed so they can probably play a bit more calm and, and kind of stick true to their style this week? Or do you think they'll always have that nerve given where they are and their progression as a club? Given, given what they, they've done this year, I reckon it probably helps them a little bit, but it'll also make them more nervous going forward. The fact that they keep blowing these leads and nearly giving them up, like they also go into their show and change something when they get so far in front, whether it's coach or whether it's player based, I'm not sure, um, whether it's their mentality, but... Um, it's quite concerning, and I, I'd, I'd be, especially the way Richmond play, it's a bit of a worry for mine, especially the fact that they laid, what, 10 tackles in the first half or something as well. But that's more probably more of the game that was being played. But, yeah, I'd be very worried if I was a St Kilda supporter. You'd almost feel – St Kilda supporters know what Collingwood fans feel like. You'd be eight goals up and still lose a grand final or just a normal game because we do, we do similar stuff, so – it is a concern for mine. It will give them a little bit of confidence to hopefully play a bit more naturally, but I'd, I'd be very wary, no matter how much St Kilda up by, that Richmond could come back or any team could come back. Mm. On the doggies, they need some tools and they need them quickly and they need to sort out what they're going to do with their ruck. And Joe Montagna and David King spoke about this and saying, oh, and actually, it shocked me as well. Like, I agreed with them. Uh, especially David King. I couldn't believe I agree with him. I know he fell off the couch. But he was saying that, you know, and I, 100%, they've got, they got the number one draft pick this year through the academy. Eagle, he's going to be a gun. He's a buddy clone. He's absolutely, he's just, he's so much better. I reckon he's going to be a freak. Like, he can take big pack marks. He's gonna be, and he'll, he'll be right to play from round one. He's going to be a bit of a King sort of clone in the way that he'll play most of the year and he'll contribute. 
but you don't need help. And obviously Bruce was there and he had a pretty bit of a stinker of a year. I don't, know, I don't reckon Hub Life really suited him either. Um, once the break came, I don't think that really helped him with the whole break through COVID. I reckon he'll be better off next year with some help. Norton needs to go back. They, they're screaming for a back when you can intercept Mark. Uh, Crozier does a good job. He's a bit small. And obviously, Carl Daniels, their, their ball user out of the back half. But they need to intercept Mark. And Norton's a Jeremy Howe for mine. And he should be playing back. And that's his best spot. I think we've had this conversation that many times on this pod about how he should be playing back. And where's Shaki at? Um, and then put Tim English forward and recruit a ruck, recruit Bruce, recruit. There's plenty of ruckman out there. Darcy Cameron even can kind of like he showed on the weekend, and he is better than you know most other ruckman in the comp if you give him a, a proper opportunity. So, and go to Collingwood and go. He's a second round pick for Darcy Cameron. I bet Collingwood don't knock it back. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. But for more, yeah, they just need to strengthen up their contest work, and I don't reckon their game style works. They need to change that up a bit. Um, and Bevo's already said he's going to make big list changes. He's just said it straight after the match. Whether that was him post-final annoyance or that's what, the way they're going, then you know they're going to—they're already a pretty young side. So that's the part fun. I'm a bit concerned about is that Bevo's being enlisted with this again, and we kind of be being sold on the myth of the 2016. Premiership win, everyone knows at nauseam my, my thoughts on that Premiership win. But it, as you said, what you thought as an outsider looking in, you know, what they need is tools, they need to work out their ruck. They're the two major issues. They're two things that he's ignored for basically five seasons. So yeah, why, will he, why would he now suddenly change his whole philosophy and buy into that? That's the part where I think he can't be trusted to, to do that because he has never shown any interest in anything other than homogenization of football players really. This year's probably the tallest they've been, I reckon. Mm. Since, um, and he's reluctant to play talls and play a ruck. You know, even going back to the year they won the flag, it was Tom Boyd and, you know, Ace Cordy and those sorts of blokes. I'm uh, sorry, uh, rough head, those sorts of blokes that were the blokes carrying the ruck, the back, the four, like, the, you know, not real big talls or anything. Like, yeah, they play key position, but not rucks. And, yeah, I was – I'm really – was it, yeah, I – I, I don't reckon they'll make the eight next year. Well, they, they arguably shouldn't have made the eight this year. If Gitto has played anywhere near to their potential. And Melbourne. And Melbourne yeah, plays. Well, but let's forget about Melbourne because they don't deserve to be talked about as finalists anyway. But, yeah, the Giants come in. You think the dog is, dog is basically missed out. So, yeah, they, they've they been flattered this like, year a little bit. You look at teams like Carlton who they're recruiting already and you think, Jesus, like – you know, Gold, you think Gold Coast will be on the up, Freo will be up, Carlton obviously with their recruitment would want to be on the up. And that's all of a sudden three teams who made the finals this year not making it next year. So you want to be pretty smart, I reckon. Mm. So which side of the fence do you sit on then in terms of their, their year in terms of grading? A lot of the pundits and the mainstream pundits came out this week and slammed the doggies and said it was a huge disappointment. They've let themselves down. They had a chance to go for a tilt the flag. I think we're – more along the lines of thinking this is about where they're at. They're a seventh to twelfth side. They snuck into finals. Good on them. Yeah, I, I, I'm dead, dead set. They're seven to twelve, and they've got a really young list. Don't get me wrong. And they're they're going to grow. And you know, if he if he actually does play a ruck, does go out and get a ruckman and someone to help um, down back or puts Norton down back and gets a proper ruckman so English can go forward. I have no doubt that in, probably not next year, but the year after when you know, all these players get another 
you know, seed into them. Like, they got some unreal talent. Like, imagine what Bailey Smith's going to do in another two years. And Bond, Bond's still bloody young as well. Yeah. Like. So they got they got some real – and Norton's young. You know, they're going to get a number one draft pick this year for pretty much free, and he's going to be a freak. Like, I've seen this kid play – I know it's on his APS footy, but I've seen this kid play, and he is unreal. And he, if he reaches his potential, then the doggies will have not only one of the most uh, – it, it'll literally be like having Buddy Franklin at your club so that's that. I mean, that brings in so much more fanfare and money and all that sort of stuff. So it's gonna be huge for the doggies. And I think like like almost the the flow chart or the the blueprint they can copy going forward now is Port Adelaide. So follow that young club and kind of replicate that. And I think if anything, Bevo is a good man manager, depending on which player you are. But for most of the young ones in particular, he seems to be a good man manager. And so if he can kind of do the Ken, Ken Hinkley Pied Piper approach to youth development. You know, two to three years from now, they could be doing what Port Adelaide's doing as we speak this well next weekend. So, he is a bit of a weird, different cat, but I think yeah, you either you either, you either love him or hate him, I reckon, and that gets rid of you pretty quickly if you're not not on, not on his train. So yeah, and so uh, next year, then are they pressing the eight again, or are they going to take one step back to take two steps forward? I reckon they take one step back to go two steps forward. But I, like I said, I really, I've never been a big big dogs fan the last few years because of the way they play. But if he can tweak the style a bit, get the players that they need in, and, and obviously with Eugle, they're going to be another two or three years, they're going to be – and they play exciting footy too. So, yeah. All right, quickly before we get to this week's games, we'll recap the qualifying finals as well. Not so much of a year review for these ones because everyone's still alive. Qualifying final number one was Port Adelaide 9-4-58, defeating Geelong 5-12-42. Uh, Port at home – that was a pretty simple pick last week in our opinion. But this year you've been a massive fan of expected goals, Baz. If this game was played on expected goals, Geelong wins. So is that a concern for Port Adelaide? Is it a positive for Geelong? Or does in funnels, is it, is it about being clutch and polished and, and living up to those moments? For me, it's a big worry for Geelong and the fact that the pressure's now building. So they addressed it a bit and they know about it. Yes, but the fact that they were talking about it and, and building themselves up for it, it got to them again. When they, as, soon as, it, as soon as they missed a few easy shots, like Tom Hawkins is a, one of the best kicks for goal over it. Like he knows his kick backwards. Like he is such a good kick for goal. For him to miss those shots and then all of a sudden panic snap, that shows that pressure's getting to him and starting to build. There's also been a bit of stuff about him in the media this week. So I reckon it all plays in the hand. But... For me, for Port, I reckon getting away with it and winning will do them better, even though they probably were lucky to get away with it, especially that second quarter, they got smashed. It just gets a bit of the moz off the back, takes a little bit of pressure off them because everyone was writing them off and they they wanted to be, you know, they wanted respect and I reckon it just took a bit off them to start winning. It just eases that pressure a bit more. I know there's going to be a lot of pressure on now, the fact that they're going to have a preliminary final at home in front of a home crowd and all that sort of stuff, but... And probably playing Richmond as well, which is massive. But I reckon it just it just gives them that bit of confidence and gives them something to work with. Is Geelong it just that pressure builds because they should have won. They were the better team for a good half of footy, yet just couldn't get the job done. Mm. And it, there's a few players in that team that I reckon are lucky to be getting games at the moment. They're carrying too many, and then it's the same people that Geelong relies on. It is basically the big four. So they need Tomahawk to kick goals, and then they need Selwood Danger to carry the midfield. They need Gary. They need some Gary magic here, there, and everywhere else. And then the rest, 
What do they do? Everyone talks up, you know, oh, they've got depth, they're built up, blah, blah, blah. But no, no, when it gets to the crunch, they haven't. Mm. So, and so it's when you're playing with a busted hand pretty much. So, yeah, and I, I watched him kicking that yeah, last night on the, they had a bit of film of him and he wasn't comfortable. Mm. Anyway, it's, oh, we'll get to the review, uh, the preview later for Collingwood Geelong. I'm actually a bit worried about for Collingwood and I think I'm going to tip Geelong, but there's still big concerns for mine for Geelong. I, I, even if they do better this week, there will just be continuance of what they've shown previously and they'll probably get knocked out in the prelim. Indeed. And the last game to review, qualifying final number two, Brisbane 10-9, 69, defeat of Richmond 8-6, in Baz's big I told you so game of the year. Have Brisbane now jumped port as Premier's elect? Well, they play at home if they get there. Again, it's a bit of a monk off the back. I know they kicked 10-9 in the end, but they were, they were crucial, good goals early. When they should have sealed the game, they let some easy shots miss, which is a concern. Um, I just really think that Richmond, you know, they actually did well with the stoppages and clearances in the first half, but then got found out. But you, the fact that they were just able to score so easy from stoppage, 450 stoppages and 450 ground balls, you guys, or Richmond, sorry, were not able to take an intercept mark inside defensive 50, which is unheard of. Grimes was taken care of, well coached by the Fagan coaching staff and well organised and well executed by the Brisbane team. The fact that Lockie Neal didn't get a touch in that first quarter um, and was able to come back was massive. And I've talked about it all year with Richmond. They've got some worrying numbers in, in key indicators. And the, as soon as Rich kicked that goal in that first quarter, in that first minute, it just showed that you guys weren't on. You were arrogant. You thought you were already won and already home. And that's, in a way, it's be interesting to see how it bounce back this week because it could almost just be the thing that gets you going again. But that loss. But I, yeah, I have some serious concerns about Richmond going forward, although everything pans out pretty nicely for him this week against St Kilda, given what has happened with St Kilda. But Brisbane for mine... Again, that's a big relief, big monkey off the back again. Like you talk about Geelong, you know, if they had a one lot of lot of pressure released, if you know Brisbane had a loss this week, the pressure would have mounted massively. So fun fact for you, since the two thousand and seventeen premiership year, Richmond haven't lost to the same side twice in a season. So yep. part of this could have been the loss they needed to have. Other funny fact, and this one's a little bit more tangential, but the two three peat sides, Brisbane and Hawthorne, one of their premierships came the long way after losing in week one of the finals. So we've seen this story before, both Richmond getting beaten up by a side and then getting their redemption later in the year and also in, in great teams and long-term teams with long-term success having to do it the hard way once or twice in their in their three-peat or three and five or whatever. So not all doom going for Richmond and, as you said, a much easier pan out this year. Before we get to the previews, a little look at the futures market, not for investment because you've missed that boat because – now, premiership favourites are Brisbane at $3.40. I think in around about round six, we said get on them at nines. Port Adelaide, second favourites, four bucks. We said get on them at eight and round six. And then Richmond are $4.50, Geelong, nine bucks, Collingwood, 12, and St Kilda, 26. So, hey, uh, Brisbane and Port were still six, seven, eight dollars two weeks, three weeks ago. Yeah. Phenomenal. Anyway. Phenomenal. But everyone finally catches up and realises what's going on. So, uh, <laughs> you know. You just got to know where you're headed first. 
Finals week two, let's get stuck into an all-Victorian semi-final weekend played exclusively outside Victoria. That's 2020 in a nutshell. Friday night, 7.40, Richmond are $1.21 favourites against St Kilda, $3.75 outsiders. They're playing at Richmond's new home ground, Metricon Stadium. The line here is 20 points and the over-under is 121. Now St Kilda won their first final in 10 years, Baz, but how are they fair against last year's premiers? What a good record against Richmond, don't they, St Kilda? And more importantly, um, Ratton has a really good record against Hardwick. I think it's seven and zip. Uh, look, they'll, put, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be playing with lots of speed. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of ballistic ball movement. They'll be trying to score as much as possible. But if Richmond... This is my. This is my, where I'm at at the moment. Richmond's been under the pump all week. They obviously got smashed last week. There's still so much arrogance. Like hearing some of the language coming from Jack Rewalt this week in on 360, and it just it just screams like they've got that self belief. But is it almost too much self belief because they wouldn't have done what they did against Brisbane if they didn't have that arrogance? You know what I mean? And like you can blow it under the table what you know what they've responded with in the media saying we weren't arrogant, blah blah blah, but. Um. Yeah, I have. I do have my worries about them going forward. But St Kilda, for mine, the fact that they lost Ryder like they did, that was this massive, massive out for St Kilda because I reckon the one-two punch has been so successful for them and so dynamic going forward and and behind the ball as well. And Richmond's ruck stock, which we saw on on uh, Friday night against Brisbane, was a bit. Uh, I reckon was well and truly beaten. And I reckon you struggled a bit going forward as well with Chole. So it just would have added an, a, another layer to Richmond's worries, especially defensively, because Ryder and uh, Marshall have been hitting the scoreboard. So, but he's not there, and it's it's really disappointing. It's his first ever finals win. Can you believe it? And what he's played? What, how many games? He's been around for a long, long yeah. time. So. Um, and then Carlo's out because he's going to the birth of his, of his child, which is great. Oh, oh, nothing against him. Well done. Um, shows the way the, the modern world is, which is great. Um, but he would have been a perfect matchup for Lynch or Rewalt. Now they're probably a bit too small down there. So, again, that plays into their hands. And I, the midfield battles will be interesting. And then, yeah, I, I, I'd assume Richmond will put on way too much pressure and way too much heat on the ball for St Kilda to be able to play that quick free-flying movement. They won't get it as easy as they did against the Doggies. You know, they'll be able to lay 10 tackles in a half a football or something like that, yeah. something stupid like that, which that won't happen against Richmond. If they only lay 10 tackles against Richmond, they'll be down by 80 points by halftime. Mm. Yeah, they cannot play the game they played against the Doggies. And I think that was the most notable thing we saw was comparing Thursday and Friday night's football games versus Saturday's football games. The Collingwood West Coast one was close and exciting, but kind of you, d- you didn't really see two premiership contenders playing it out. And then St Kilda Doggies versus the first two nights of football were like, what is this? This is very, very, very different style, tempo, pressure. Um, yeah, the intensity was very, very different. And so, as you said, if they turn up and try to play that against Richmond, they it'll be all over 10 minutes into the game. So. Oh, I reckon like Long is a massive out as well because he he plays a very key role for them defensively. So they lose two good defensive players. They lose their probably their number one ruck, and then now yeah they're expected to take on Richmond. It will be breathing fire. So I, I still think it'll be a close game. Like I still think it's be a good game. I reckon it'll be high scoring, but I just don't think that 
Yeah, St Kilda. Unfortunately, as much as I'd love St Richmond to go out in straight sets, because I don't think they're anywhere near their capabilities or anywhere near where they were when they won the flags. Um, and I, I've still got some big questions over their, their midfield and clearance work and stoppage work and even their defence, you know, I've been harping on it all year. So I won't keep going there, but I, St Kilda just missing too many and uh, I just... Even though they've, like I said, they've got a good record against them in, in normal season, I don't think that style of football that they get away with during the season matches up with the finals pressure. Yeah. And I suppose the blueprint to beating Richmond, Brisbane showed last week. So Richmond is obviously the leading differential side in handball metres gained, and every team tries to combat that by just applying source ball pressure. They go, lots of handballs means lots of tackles. What Brisbane actually did was show really good discipline around the stoppage. So that you don't, you let them do the handball, but you just re, you restrict how many meters they gain per handball. It's the the bend not break defense system. Whereas too many teams get sucked into the into the sinkhole, and then once that one handball gets out, they're off. I think that that's why Collingwood has such a good record against Richmond recently, is because Melbourne obviously play try and play a similar style to to Richmond, and we've seen you know Collingwood has that outer layer where they're like, oh, you win the hardball. We're going to get the secondary, the secondary clearance, so the secondary contested ball, mm. and that's where I reckon Brisbane did really well. How many times do you see Shy Bolton or Pickett or Cochin get the handball received and then just get buried by a Brisbane player? Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think St Kilda have got the discipline to do that. And the rest of the numbers are against St Kilda here as well. So Richmond have played off four losses this year. They have a three and one record. They have an average winning margin at Metricon of 36 points. And in semifinals since 2000, the sixth place record is five and 13. So most of the wins that you get from a sixth place happen in the first week, you can upset fifth. But when you have to play against a top four side, there's a reason why you finished where you did in the letter. And most of the time you get found out, throw in three big outs for St Kilda, and it's going to be a very tough task for the Saints. But, hey, they got their finals win, so they should enjoy themselves anyway. Last game of the weekend will be Saturday, 7.40. Geelong are $1.60 favourites. Collingwood, $2.35 outsiders. They're playing at the Gabba. The line here is only 6.5. The over-under, a very low 110. Now, last week was Collingwood's first win as an underdog for 2020. Now, this is a, it's impressive. We were very impressed by the way Collingwood played. But I have one major red flag, which is a big red flag that we like to pull up on this podcast. Over-celebration. Well, no. Okay, two red flags then. One, over-celebration. Two, they weren't the mental approach. They basically printed out the articles and said, no one believes in us. They were tweeting about it. They were getting on everyone's backs. They went the full us versus the world. And we know that doesn't really last. With a big high comes a big fall. Does the fall come this week? I've always been critical of certain teams for over-celebrating. Well, Collingwood might have... uh, headed into that territory yeah. last week. Again, and like, they have every right to, don't get me wrong, but we won one final. There's still three to go. And uh, if we don't win this week, well, it means nothing really. So I, I, the mental side of things, yeah, it worries me a bit. The, the, the come down, you build yourself up so high and there's always that, that, that come down from that. So, and being able to get yourself up again, um, you know, the whole psychology of it all, you know, we all know about it if you follow sport. Um, but we we match up so well against Geelong. We have a good record against Geelong. We Geelong don't score against us either. Um, 
it's probably because their slow ball movement just allows us to set up so well defensively. He's uh, kind of going to play with that quick ball movement that we saw against West Coast, or are we going to just play boring football like Geelong? That, that, that's what worries me a little bit, because I reckon we need that quick ball movement to worry Geelong. I reckon that does worry Geelong, and we've seen it with the Doggies and other teams over to Geelong this year. When that quick ball movement is on, even Richmond to a certain extent earlier, then it's pretty hard for them to defend. So, because they're pretty slow. Like we saw what Port Adelaide, they've got a problem with small forwards and we saw what Port Adelaide were able to do to them. And guess what? Conlon doesn't really have a tall forward line. So, if we can just hit, get the ball in there quick and hit the deck and put lots of forward pressure on, which we're not really known for, and, you know, create opportunities, I reckon that's, I reckon we're in a really, really good shout. So, I am. Well, I was confident last week, as you know. This week, I'm not so confident, but I'm kind of leaning towards Collingwood here. But I would not be surprised if Geelong came out. They've got a big, big like they've got a big weight on their shoulders, so that needs to be lifted at some point. If they go out in straight sets, uh, the press is interesting with, with uh, Chris Scott. Everything history suggests that Geelong should win this. So if you look at fourth v eighth in finals since 2000, it's five and one in favour of a fourth. Again, the letter's there for a reason. It shows where you finish. It shows where these two teams are at. However, all season we've kind of, everyone's kind of had that feeling in their gut that Collingwood aren't an eighth place side. If Collingwood played the Bulldogs tomorrow, they would beat the Bulldogs. If they played St Kilda, they should beat St Kilda. And they played West Coast and they, and they beat West Coast. So really this is probably fourth v fifth in, in, in all honesty in terms of quality of these two sides. And then you throw in their recent funnels records. Collingwood is far better in funnels recently than, than Geelong, although neither have a premiership to show for it. So again, part of me wants to, wants to back in Collingwood here. And I think it's recent history in, in every game that these two sides play is a big is a big game because of, because of the clubs because of the usually the size of the crowds and all that kind of thing. So I think Collingwood has that big game experience, but then you look at you break it down and take away all the mystics around it and you just go down to like line v line and who's out there. Well, you think well Geelong should win this game? They have the the better side on paper. Oh really? You don't reckon? I think oh. Collingwood's deeper. The A graders are probably lying with Geelong in this game. Well, not when Salwood's not 100 fit. I, I, I know I'm one. I know I'm kind of a fan. And I'm probably dipping into that. But for me, I just look at our four line. Like I said, Small's been worrying Geelong all year, and, and Porto showed that last week. We got pretty small four line, pretty fleet of foot. You know, Stevenson's probably due now. Um, Thomas showed a bit last week. You know, my text on a big tour when he met stretched him. Like you know, he's. To go, you know, he kicked two goals out of his backside last week and didn't really get into the game. And he kicks goals against Shalong. He's got a history of kicking goals against Shalong. Mm. Our midfield's up and about. Does our tall two ruck strategy work against Shalong? Probably. And really, if we shut out Hawkins, Rowan never gets a kick in a final. Myers and those sorts of blokes don't really, they're not really up for it. I was thinking we match up really well. And I was, kind of think they're a better side. And if you go back to the actual ladder, the actual score ladder, I think we finished top four. So we had a pretty, we had some stinkers this year, don't get me wrong, but we also had some massive injuries. And I just reckon that we're probably a lot better place. So don't get me wrong, I love Jeremy Howe out there and I love probably one or two others out there, but they're not. Uh, I can't complain about that. But I just reckon the fact that, the fact that Joe Selwood's still playing with the, with what he has had done to his finger 
just screams desperate like desperation for mine. And if it backfires, it backfires. So I, I don't know. I just reckon that you know, I reckon this is really there for the taking. And the fact that we over celebrated in our mental um, comeback is that the problem. I don't, that's probably the only thing that I can see being an issue for us. I love the fact that Mason Cox literally ripped his game open in the first three minutes of the game. He didn't mention him once in any of your analysis there. He is your leading score impact player this season. Yeah. Big Mason. Do you I'm trust not- him to perform two funnels in a row? No. That's why I mentioned him. <laughs> I've got an interesting little Mason tidbit for you, but I'll save it for my feature bets. I am leaning towards Collingwood in this one. It's a bit of the old Baz gut although neither of us have them at the moment. And uh, it's a little bit of just not wanting to trust Geelong, even though that does fly in the face of five and one, fourth the eighth. But I've explained my reasoning around that. segment money making time our feature bets for the second week of funnels in 2020 and baz you lead us off with your best bet of the weekend's action last last week i think all my bets got up especially my uh multi so i'm just gonna keep it nice and simple this week richmond into collingwood you're gonna get you know around your four dollars so thank you very much Yep, I've got a simple one as well for my best bet. It's Collingwood to win the first quarter. So the big thing about this game, Collingwood versus Geelong, is that you'll know if it's going to be worth watching about five minutes in. If Collingwood don't show up and they've drunk their own bathwater and they've spent all their emotional energy, this will be over very quickly. If not, and they win the first quarter, we know what happens next. But in case you've forgotten, keep listening. And then, so Collingwood win the first quarter is paying $2.10. Collingwood have won six out of seven games as underdogs. And you have embraced being the underdog this year in 2020. Geelonga ranked seventh in Q1s. The only team worse who made finals was West Coast. And we saw what happened to West Coast last week. So there you go. There's your value and your best bet there. Where's your value bets coming from, Baz? No, it's, I'm just doing my multi, mate. I'm That's just it. Like, just playing it safe. Playing it safe, mate. I've, after last week, I can't go to because I just – you know, you you would have been able to buy a house on on you know in Brighton after last week, surely. Surely. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to bring the value and the spice to the people then, since you've abandoned the boat. My value bet is Richmond to win head to head. Dusty to have 20 plus disposals and to kick one goal is paying three dollars. And I think uh, since 2017, Dustin Martin has recorded 25 scoreboard impacts per game in finals. He had a quiet one last week. He won't have a quiet one this week against the Saints. So expect him to tear it up. And, of course, my go-to for the Collingwood-Geelong game, Collingwood win the first quarter, Collingwood will win head-to-head, and the unders is paying $6.50. Or you can take them all at the line instead and get $5 anyway. And that's how Collingwood win. They do, I know they went overs last week in a West Coast game that was very, very different. But against two sides, I love a low-scoring game. Expect this to go unders. And I think the last eight games between these two sides have gone under the total as well. Geelong really struggled to score against us. So then Marafi bets are a bit ridiculous, so strap yourself in. <laughs> Richmond to win the third quarter is paying $1.86. Richmond are the second-ranked Q3 side in 2020. St Kilda are ranked 14th. Richmond to win head-to-head. Dusty have 20-plus. 
Dusty to kick a goal and Dan Butler to kick a goal because that's what Dan Butler does. He just, just jags one every week. That's paying $9.25. And if you take the tried and tested, so Cole will win the first quarter, Cole will win head-to-head and the unders and roll in Mason Cox to kick two goals. That's paying 30 bucks. Jesus. Mason Cox has kicked two or more goals in four of the last five games and he's the leading scoreboard impact player for Collingwood in 2020. If Collingwood are to win this game, he must kick two or more goals. There's yeah, no other way around it. He needs to kick goals. Yeah. I'm, I'm expecting Stevenson to have a big game, actually. He started to show glimpses last week. I reckon this this is a sort of game where all the attention go on Cox and my check and to go in, he might just slip under the radar. That would be... If, if they can find other score sources, that's obviously makes the job much easier for Collingwood. But at the moment, the blueprint seems to be much maligned Texan uh, needs to stand up. The big Tex, the actual big Tex, as opposed to that pretender that got found out in 2017. <laughs> that's the end of our preview for week two. If uh, we've missed anything or you want to send us your own tips, hit us up on Twitter. It's at W-A-T-O-S-Pod, what are the odds pod. And if our tips have made you some money or if we've just entertained you during this very weird year that is 2020, head to your favourite podcast player and leave us a cheeky five-star review and a couple of comments and uh, that will do us wonders in the algorithm charts. And uh, otherwise, Baz, enjoy the football. Try not to uh, have a heart attack during that Collingwood game and... uh, Fingers crossed the sun comes out and Daddy Dad says all the right things on Sunday. Yeah, look, uh, my remote's struggling a bit from the West Coast game, so I just need to make sure that's out of reach for Geelong and anything else that's favourable for the Geelong game. So thanks, mate, and enjoy the weekend and hopefully uh, the weather improves. This is